welcome to the General Order One podcast, where we discuss Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I'm joined by my longtime friends and fellow nerds, uh, Ben. Hello. And Jason. Hello. Also known as Nuge. Indeed. So, uh, <clears throat> before we start on the episode, I did a little bit of research on um, this the Star Trek Strange New Worlds as a whole, because I remember before it came out, there was some press on what they wanted to do with the show, because at the time, Discovery was the only other show on the air, and Discovery had a bad rap for um, not being, you know, true Trek, being um, sort of dystopian more than utopian. And so I <laughs> I was trying to find, there were several quotes actually from Anson Mount talking about what he wanted to do with the show, but now that the show is on the air, like trying to find stuff about, you know, what he said before the show came out was dang near impossible. Like trying to Google what he said was, it was really yeah, hard. Yeah, I mean, all his press is current Cause all, now. Yeah, because all the press now is about, oh, what's going to happen in season two? So I really had to do some digging, but that's that's not really here nor there. But what, what Anson Mount's quote was, and I believe he's an executive producer on this. He had a big part in this show. In fact, I don't think the show would really have existed if he wasn't involved because he i mean this is a spinoff from discovery but anyway his quote was that we're going to try and hearken back to some classical trek values to be optimistic and to be more episodic so i think they're really kind of like i don't want to say crapping on discovery but they were basically saying that clearly they tried a different format for discovery and some people liked it and some people didn't but the the theme the, the of this show was going to be more conventional yeah, the the pitch of this show was if hey, if Discovery wasn't your cup of tea and it was because you prefer, you know, the flavor of the original Star Trek formula, that's what we're gonna give you with this. And I, I'd say that's accurate. I mean it's clear that's what they're going for. I'd say they've hit it so far. I I'm I'm enjoying this quite a bit more than I did Discover for that very reason. Yeah, for sure. So um it's it's clear that that was their intent from the outset, and and I wanted to find that quote because it is something that really sets the tone for the the show. And the only other thing I want to talk about before we started is I found you know whatever it is like the the episode summary online, and I thought it would be worth reading. Maybe we'll do this for the beginning of everyone. So the the summary for oh, we're discussing uh, season one episode four. The episode is titled Memento Mori. And uh, the summary of the episode is as follows. While on a routine supply mission to a colony planet, the USS Enterprise comes under attack from an unknown malevolent force. Pike brings all his heart and experience to bear in facing the crisis, but the security officer warns him that the enemy cannot be dealt, dealt with by conventional Starfleet means. So, uh... I guess we'll just dive right in. So the the episode starts with uh, Laon, security officer Laon, delivering the voiceover, and she mentions that they are delivering an atmospheric processor upgrade to Finibus to a planet called Finibus Three. So um, this is something that what you see at the very, I guess, first scene. You kind of see this. The the crew is all preparing for um, what uh, Pike kind of announces, I think, over, you know, comms to the whole ship. He starts talking about Starfleet Remembrance Day, which is essentially, you know, uh, what, Memorial, Memorial Day, Day. Yeah. in Starfleet. 
um, which I thought was cool, but I, I don't remember this coming up in any other Star Trek. It, it hasn't. It, it is cool, but that's, you know, this is the trap that any kind of prequel falls into. If you try to do anything new, everyone's going to be like, well, wait a minute. What what happened to celebrating this 100 years later? Did they just stop? Or sure. And obviously the answer is, well, the writers just didn't think of it till now. So yeah. it's a retcon. Yeah. Uh, makes- but no, it's it's kind of cool. It's a cool idea. Um the yep. like everyone wearing a pin to to represent you know it's a it's a sh- i couldn't quite catch what is it just a pin to represent a ship they've served on previously where they lost crew members or no, I, don't just... know. I didn't i didn't get into the the detail i think it was yeah i mean could have been i, I just kind of got it was you know like everybody wears green on saint patrick's day it was just like hey this is coming up so we're gonna memorialize this i, I don't know if yeah well, so you make a good point that they they all wear a pin, but not everybody wears a pin. Right. Laon chooses not to wear a pin, and she has a she basically says something to the effect of, you know, this isn't my thing. I don't really want to. You well, know. she gets called out for it. Um, yeah, you know, Una says, "Hey, you're not wearing a pin," and she says, "Well, that you know, it's it's fine. You know, you don't have to do that. Get off my back." Yeah. Um, and uh. So that's you know clearly part of this is our our episode title Memento Mori is referring to these pins they're wearing. Uh, there's a couple other references in the episode I think uh, that would lead to that title, but this is the first one. So um, it's worth noting um, that Lawn doesn't wear a pin. It comes up later. Uh, super minor detail. We'll get to that when we get there. Um, the the other note I took on this, so uh, Pike is given a voiceover to the whole crew, and he's talking about what Starfleet Remembrance Day is, and like we said, it's essentially Memorial Day. But the note I took was that I want Pike to give me inspirational speeches, dude. Like, if I was hanging out with this guy, and he's just like, you know, hey, everybody listen up, and then he launches into, like, this 30, you know, 45-second monologue, he's really good at these speeches. Maybe I'm just... He's, a, he's a great life coach. He like I don't know if I'm just a sucker for Anson Mount or he's just really good at this, but like when he says stuff like this, I'm like, all right, I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah. He, he's clearly like one of the 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 biggest draws of this show, like one of the best performers, and you could just tell by looking at him personally, like he gets up at like 5 a.m. and like you know downs like three egg yolks. Yeah, and like right. he, he's like doing meditation. I mean, this guy, he's putting is, in the work. He's motivated. Yeah, he's. Well, I mean, like I said before, the reason I think this show exists is because of Anson Mount and the way he played the character on Discovery. I mean, I don't think there was nobody was chomping at the bit for a a, a show about Pike until he came along and, and did such a good job on on Discovery. So yeah, and they're they're giving us a lot of meat to show you know why this guy is you know why he has the loyalty of the crew, why they're willing to follow him, why this guy is a captain that that is. Right celebrated in Starfleet. Clearly he's got some good leadership skills. Um, and yeah. we're highlighting that quite a bit more than, you know, in some cases we had, uh, you know, um, Picard was, you know, didn't get to shine that way for quite a while in the first season of next generation. He's just kind of the, this gruff old guy. That's the captain. And, you know, he comes off as kind of a, you know, kind of a cranky old coot for the first couple episodes. That's and an then interesting slowly, point, yeah. you know, he warms up and, you know, you get to see that he's not just this grumpy guy and he's not just yelling at Wesley all the time. <laughs> and... I, I guess, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, yeah, I mean, Strange New Worlds really is the the Pike show. I mean, clearly they're setting up the other characters, but season one, you know, maybe that was the draw is that, you know, they want to they want to highlight Pike. So 
The, yeah. the other thing that I wanted to note, uh, I skipped past a little bit. So the episode is titled Memento Mori, which is uh, Latin. And according to Wikipedia, um, it's Latin for remember that you have to die. So it's basically, you know, hmm. taking into account your own mortality. Um, yeah, and it and it can mean yeah, just that the idea that you will die, you know, keeping in mind your own mortality, like you said, it can also refer to, you know, a memento that you keep, uh, you know, to remind you of death or of the death of someone or to celebrate someone who has died. So you know, these pins that they're wearing are a memento mori, right? Okay, so I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't involve um the the sort of like this through line of pike remember like having dreams about him his own mortality you know oh that's a good point yeah Yeah. it seemed like it would fit with the theme especially the title yeah it's teed up for that but we don't ever go there this is the first episode that doesn't ever reference that too that's true and this would have been the perfect one to yeah good point i wonder if these are written out of order i hadn't figured out that plot line yet huh yeah so uh, the episode sort of opens with um, Hemmer and Uhura walking in the hallway, and Hemmer is basically quizzing her on, you know, Starfleet, Starship stuff. And uh, she has answers for everything, essentially. You know, she is... Um, what did Pike call her in the other... I mean, he called her a genius. So clearly she is shining in um, her knowledge of general Starship stuff, not just comm stuff. And there's there's mentioned that she is rotating through different departments on the ship. So at this point, she's sort of checking out engineering. She's obviously going to check out some other um, departments. She uh, at yeah, least they this, mentioned th- she's a cadet, and it's almost like she's you know a you know like doctors have their rotations they go through you know before when they get out of med school, then they go on rotation and kind of work in different departments to see where they fit. So it seems like that's kind of what's going on here. But it's it's a little strange that they've got a cadet on the enterprise you'd think that would be a place that seasoned officers would be stationed a good point there's not another ship you could train somebody on not the flagship yeah yeah. right so uh i think the only thing i really took away from this is that they're just setting up that uhura has not decided on comms as her you know job or commission yet clearly we know where, where that's where she ends up but that's not where she is just yet well, and you you hear uh hammer says like it's a normal thing where he says like cadets normally labor their rotation through engineering, dreaming of oh, command. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Hora says, like, engineering is a lot like linguistics. And uh, you see Hemmer kind of, like, open up a little bit. He's, um, yeah. he's like, oh, really? Hmm. Um, but still, still pretty grumpy about it. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, he seems to be implying that most of the time when he's dealing with the cadet, they just see this as a pit stop on their way to the other things. Yeah. Yeah, there's very few people want to end up in engineering. Everybody wants to sit in the captain's chair, right? So uh, what we see is that they arrive at Finibus 3. So we cut back to the bridge, and they are attempting to communicate with the surface so they can drop off these atmospheric processor upgrades, but there are no comms from the planet. Um, and they make mention that the comm satellite has been destroyed, so they don't know what's going on here, but you know the, the welcoming party they were expecting isn't there. So the Enterprise crew beams down to investigate you know, what happened to these... I mean, I don't know, are they miners or what? But anyway, they beam down to the surface, and they're basically sort of in this dark... You know, I, I wasn't sure if it was a cave or what, but it looked like it was, there, it was a cave, and there, it was very... Uh, gloomy and there were like fires 
kind of all around. I think it was so. just the street of this little settlement that they, was it? they live in. Yeah, it's, it's nighttime, but um, yeah, everything's kind of destroyed. And there's, yeah, like you said, there's a bunch of stuff on fire. Um, and uh, yeah, no one, they're not finding anybody. They just see this kind of ruined settlement. Yeah, they, they don't find any bodies. So what they find is a lot of blood and that they, they basically are able to determine that they're, the, the bodies, wherever they were, were all sort of dragged to this one central location because all the blood sort of, um, you know, ends in this one, you know, I don't know, middle of town square. Yeah. But there are no bodies there. So they're trying to figure out, like, there's a lot of blood, but there are no bodies. So they're a little bit concerned, like, clearly something bad has happened. So right about then, the the bridge crew makes mention that a new ship has arrived in orbit and they don't know who it is and clearly something's going down on the planet so they beam the away team right away back and they yeah i think they they put shields up or they're they're very cautious at this point and so they yeah they're 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 waiting on you know again clear like we've kind of established that raising the shields is the is kind of a threatening gesture so yeah uh starfleet's always you know kind of waits to the last minute to do that uh, but they're getting ready to raise the shields as they're trying to raise this ship on comms, and it's not responding. And Pike is literally in the middle of of asking for a yellow alert and to raise the shields when he hears that they have they're being hailed by the ship, and then he cancels the raising of the shields. So uh, lo and behold, the the hail comes in, and it is the inhabitants, or well, I guess what's left of the inhabitants from the the surface from Finibus Three. Um, and they basically make mention that they were in hiding um, because they were attacked on the sh- on the on the surface, and they weren't sure if the Enterprise was who attacked them or or not. So they were tr- trying to make sure they were safe before they came out of hiding. So clearly, the ship that they're on was even sort of damaged and, and had some problems. So Pike immediately offers to beam the entire crew over and get them some medical attention. And what what happened or what they mentioned was that they are on some sort of mining vessel and the hull is too thick and they are unable to beam the crew over, which I thought was interesting because I don't remember any scenarios where they're unable to beam through something other than, you know, like a really yeah. serious ion storm. I mean, they beam people out, out of the middle of planets and all over. Yeah, but I apparently mean, it's, it's, ship it's a plot a, point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, they've made mention at times before, like if some, you know, if the away team's down below the surface in a cave or something, and oh, the the composite of this rock has X element in it that's interfering with the transporter yeah. or something like that. It, it's it's a hand wavy thing a bit, but um, not too bad as far as Star Trek tech hand waviness goes. Well, it gives them a I'm good good super good excuse. Sorry, I'm just I'm no go for I, it. I, I I hope you explain this whole sequence about the shields. As they go into, you'll get to it, the brown dwarf thing, but like, yeah, I am confused about the shield situation here. I'm, I, I'm, I've said I'm like a bit of a new, but like, they're, they're, the shields are on or they're off. Um, maybe I'll clarify as we move forward, but this did feel very convenient. Like, they can't. Well, it's it's Get shields up initially. It's of Star Trek lore from way back in the day that if your shields are up, you can't beam people around. So if your shields are up, you you can't beam anybody off the surface you can't so I, I think what they were trying to do was they were trying to give an excuse for why they couldn't beam somebody without the shields being involved uh, i'm not sure it was a little bit strange well it, so, it, ha- it happens to be they, they um they can't beam them so they have like a bridge connection 
to evacuate so, them, but then that makes it so they can't put shields up as well. So right? what they say, so and this is new to me, so Pike says, okay, attach a deep space transport tube to the other ship, which is essentially a physical, I don't know, a bridge, essentially, where you yeah, can walk it's between a giant ships. airlock that yeah. goes between the two ships. And and that's definitely something new I've never seen before. My, my yeah, first... and it's, you'd have to have it sitting in the car. I mean, that's going to be yeah. this huge structure that's just going to be sitting yeah. in a cargo hold or something, but Hey, whatever. God, you'd almost think it would be easier, like, tell everybody to get, you know, in the escape pods or move to the bridge where there isn't this shielding and I'll beam you over versus this physical, you know, transport tube they have to set up. But Yeah, you'd think it would take some time to set that yeah. up. But, uh, Especially hey. considering that, you know, everybody on the ship was, you know, bleeding out or dying because you'd think they'd be in a hurry. But it doesn't matter. So the point is they attach this deep space transport tube and they uh, start getting the... the colonists off of this other ship and um right about then um or am i a little bit ahead of myself so the the colonists uh make it onto the enterprise and they make well, mention well they're 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 walking across so you know this this yes. tube is right. you know you know a couple hundred feet long or whatever it is it's not just like this little docking hatch it's quite a length Right. It's a big long hallway, and they're they're moving people through it to get them from one ship to the other. So I I believe I think it's Una is is interviewing the inhabitants, yeah. the colonists as they make it over. Like, hey, what the heck happened? You don't have a satellite. The, you know, obviously there was a big fight on the planet. And what the the colonists say, the leader says that there was a blast from the sky that took out the colony, but they don't know anything about who did it or what. Like they were, it was just completely unprovoked. So most of the inhabitants make it over to the Enterprise right about when they get attacked. So um, what's worth mentioning is that about 100 inhabitants made it off of the surface. Um, so most of the people on the surface, it sounds like, were slaughtered. Um, but they don't know where all the, the people that survived are. They don't have all of them. There's a, a little girl runs down the hallway, one of the colonists, um, and she's yelling and freaking out about monsters. And Laon kind of stops her and, you know, I, you know, you think she's going to give her this speech like, oh, monsters aren't real. It's OK, little girl, like we're going to protect you. And she was like, tell me about the monsters. Right. Yeah. And the, and well, the little her, her mom says monsters aren't real. Like, yeah. Like, hey, little girl. yeah, but they just got slaughtered. It's kind of it's kinda, right. Uh, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say monsters aren't real at this point. Like daddy's not coming home, but don't worry, monsters aren't real. So um, she asks the little girl like what? I don't know what sound the monsters made or something. And the little girl kind of right. makes like some clicking sound on her, you know, her lips and Laon kind of like her eyes get big and she re re recognizes what that sound was. And she, um, you know, cause they're wherever down where the transport tube is, they're not on the bridge. And so, so she messages the bridge and requests a scan for polarized EM signatures. And so um, there's no explanation here. It's just like Laon's got a, got a hunch. And they find some polarized EM signature, sure enough. And uh, Laon basically yells, uh, raise the shields right now. This is bad news. So, you know, right about then, the big music kicks in. This is going to be the big scene. Like, okay, we figured out something bad is happening. But they are unable to raise the shields because of the transport tube. So the shields apparently have to be around an entire physical structure. And if the tube is there, then that prevents 
you know, them from making Yeah, which I buy. Shows. I mean, this, this yeah, two sure. basically means that they've got this huge tether to another ship, and, yeah. you know, the shields can't extend that far. I get it. So I, I didn't understand. So I think it was Ortegas who says, she says the transport with two. Like, uh, there's a lot of instances in this episode where I, I couldn't understand what they were saying, and I literally rewinded it to try to figure out what they're saying. I guess you guys you guys picked up on it, but um, he's... She says, "Like it's a transport with two, so I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I was thrown off by by this this dialogue." And like you have to kind of run with it with Star Trek. If you if you think about what the technology is and what how this is working and what they're doing too much, th- there's holes all over the place in it. Yeah. It's it's just you know it's. I wish they would. It's be not hard sci-fi if that's what you're lower. here for. You've come to the wrong place. It seems like they they um, steamroll a lot of these explanations, and I would as as like a layman, I wish they were very like deliberate and. and well, well uh, part of the reason they steamroll through it is because it just doesn't make any sense if you stop to think about it. So they just well, they go the through other, it real quick and go, yeah, 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 we're going to reverse the polarity on the samaflange, and then right. they move on. Well, the yeah. other thing is, and I think, I mean, this, again, this is what the 11th Star Trek show. So I think there is some expectation that if you're turning into Strange New Worlds, you have a general idea of what the Star Trek, of the rules of the universe. And that may be throwing you off a little bit because maybe, you know, you don't have some of the background. So we'll, we'll go through it. That, that's not a problem. Yeah, so, I'll come back to this later, too. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, well, before, well, you know, before we get farther into it, just understand, though, that there's some rules to the Star Trek universe, like, yeah, you can't transport through shields. That's That comes up all the time. But you have to understand that the rules of the Star Trek universe are extremely flexible. They're designed and, to be broken yeah. if it facilitates yeah. the plot, right? They, they will break if... them all the time. So I, don't get so, too hung up on how the science works of any of this. I really don't think it's a, an issue with like the, the, the idea that Star Trek has rules. I think it's just the idea of the, the storytelling... Um, uh, implementation uh, like um, just it could be laid out more um, plain spoken less like quick and like jargon throwing jargon at my face you could like that makes sense that there's this tether and that won't allow you to throw the shields up but it went by so fast and and I didn't understand like it just wasn't clear so I'm Fair not. Uh, it's it's a different, I think, criticism I'm having, but maybe I'm just slow and dumb. So. Well, let's get into it a little bit more, and, then, and maybe we can explain some of it. So, they, like you said, they mentioned that they can't raise I the shield. Like Spock would have given you a really big eyebrow raise there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the on basically kind of yells, I don't know, to herself or whatever. She says, "It's the Gorn," right? And then uh, it cuts to the intro and the litany. So I didn't make note that this uh, intro, we are 10 minutes into the episode right now. So this felt like one of those, this is yeah, a rather long intro. In before, yeah. yeah, usually it's a couple minutes, but this one was was pretty quick. So so what happens is um, it's it's the Gorn is, you know, whatever that means. So well, I guess we can talk about the Gorn in just a second. But the, the Enterprise gets attacked and they are unable to raise the shields because of this transport tube. So whatever this ship is that comes out of nowhere attacks the Enterprise when they are unprepared. And the Enterprise gets pretty screwed up. So they, they make mention that the shields are at 60% and the warp drive is down. Um, and at this point, La'on tells the bridge, she says, it's the Gorn, and everybody kind of does like a double take and they kind of look at each other like, oh my gosh, this is bad news, right? And I actually yeah, had Yeah, we to... get the sense they're kind of like, this is a boogeyman yes, kind yeah. of thing. No one really knows if they're real or not. There's rumors about them, but... 
you know, no one's lived to tell the tale as far as anybody knows. So, so I had to look this up. I mean, like there are well-known uh, Star Wars or sorry, Star Trek villains, oh right? You, okay. You've got the Borg and the Vulcans. And, and then all of a our, sudden, our two fans have just left the podcast permanently. <laughs> um, so I had to look up the Gorn because I know they existed before, but so the Gorn go as far back as the original series and they, the Gorn are the super um, geeky, nerdy, green rubber um, lizard looking guy, guys yeah, that, 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 that Kirk fights on the surface of that one planet in that super cringy fight. So mm-hmm. they are not the Gorn in my mind, don't have a history for being particularly terrifying. But apparently in the Strange New Worlds universe, they're a little more serious. Hey, man, it's the 60s. It's a man in a suit. Sure, yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you want? I'm just, I mean, so what we see in this episode versus what Kirk fought in the original series are, are drastically different. And that's fine. I just thought it was funny. Like, all you know, clearly the crew knew that the Gorn were bad news, but that's not yeah. what we've been led to believe up to this far. But Yeah, unfortunately, you can't just double double fist pound these guys right. yeah there's a classic know. meme like gif of like yes like doing the double double yeah fist if you, that's a good point so if you've seen that gif yeah of, yeah of kirk being over the top that rubber green suited guy that's a gorn so uh what uh, they basically determined that the whole thing was a trap um that that's what the gorn do is they you know they set up a scenario where you know somebody comes in and then they spring this trap on them and attack Laon says that um, Pike, you know, wants to raise shields and start attacking, and he wants to go at them. And, and Laon says, no, 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 we have to retreat. We cannot stand and fight. We don't stand a chance. This is what they do. So obviously what we're determining is that Laon has experience with the Gorn, and she convinces Pike that they need to turn tail and, ran, and run. But because the warp drive is down, they can't just warp out of there. So they kind of have to limp out of there with using the impulse engines. They determine that there's a local brown dwarf, um, which will potentially hide some of their sig- their you know warp signature, or give them some sort of cover essentially. And so Spock says um, that his quote is: "The Enterprise will need to lower its electrical output. Primary and auxiliary systems need to go offline. We will lose sensors, optics, long long range communications, and most importantly, the shields." So they're going to go into this brown uh what was it brown dwarf brown and dwarf yeah they basically say essentially that this could potentially uh explode or destroy the ship so they need to go into covert mode right except we have you know we've got a bit of another hand wavy thing here in that i, I don't know how uh propulsion is going to work at all with right all your power shut off it, it seems like your engines are a pretty big power draw so well, you know. again, this 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 came up last week on the other episode. He said his first. He says primary and auxiliary systems need to go offline. Now, I'm not an expert, but if you're taking primary and auxiliary systems offline, yeah, what I does think that leave you? Like, I think that's you got life support, and that's about it. I, I mean, I don't know. I think life support is kind of a primary system, but none of that matters. They don't explain that. But the point is that they basically have to shut down most of the ship. Yeah. So. Um, Let's see what happens. I mean, I would assume at that point you're, you know, you're on generator power basically. So yeah, you're, okay. you're, you're just a trickle. It's just enough to keep the air flowing and maybe some egress lighting in it's, the hallways, and that's about it. It's a fine setup for sort of like a um, a um, a confined a confined um, fog of war situation, I guess. Like, sure. um, 
I've heard people call it like a submarine episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. Which which is exactly what this is. We can get into that more in a bit, but there there's a there's a pretty strong pedigree for this. So what we see next is the crew in the the meeting room or the planning room, you know, wherever they go over mission. Yeah, it's their conference stuff. room or whatever, which I, I yeah. believe this is the first time we've seen this set. Is it? I thought we saw it in the last episode when they were talking about the alert. Anyway. Did we? Um, so they're basically going over, you know, what they're going to do, because they're now in this brown dwarf. So they are essentially sh- protected or shielded or hidden from the, the Gorn. But... But there are major there's pressure in this brown dwarf that you know could potentially crush the enterprise, so they can't stay in here forever. Um, they make mention that the enterprise is getting hotter because the environmental controls are overwhelmed because the brown dwarf is so hot, so the AC can't keep up. Sick bay is offline because um, they don't have power. Uh, basically, everything in the ship is offline, so they really can't do a whole lot. So they can't. They also can't stay in the brown dwarf for a while. Sick bay already has. Um, a lot of patience because of the attack and they don't have the systems that they need. Um, there's a mention here that there are nine casualties confirmed already. So people have been hurt and or killed in the initial attack, you know, let alone what happens next. Yeah. And yeah. Dr. Umbenga comes on to say, you know, I can, I can kind of, I've stabilized these people. I can keep them from dying, but I can't really treat them until you get me supplies or power. Yeah, he mentions that the attack destroyed the any medical supplies they had and that the matter synthesizers are offline so they can't even make more. So yeah, uh, nine casualties that means there's nine dead, right? Well, no, no because that no. comes up later. And casualty means yeah. someone was injured or killed, one yes. of the two. Okay. At the, at the end of the episode they mentioned that seven people died and I had yeah, I actually had to look up what casualty meant because nine and seven are not the same number. Okay, yeah, I don't feel right. so dumb then. Okay. Yeah. yeah, casualty just means that someone is no longer currently not capable of performing their duty. I always because thought of a medical issue. It's they're wounded or dead, but either way they are not a functioning part of the so, crew right now. The way Pike reacts to that though makes it seem like, oh no, we have those nine casualties you know it's like they're they're you know it's it's bad situation where you'd think you'd want to distant uh, differentiate between deaths well and, and ca- casualty usually is is pretty significant wounded too you know you you get uh you know a splinter and you're not a casual casualty is they Fair took enough. a pretty yeah. significant wound uh t- to the point where they need to be hospitalized so okay According to the dictionary, a casualty is an accident, especially one involving serious injury or loss of life. So uh, we see, so we're in sick bay now, and Uno walks in, number one, and she has major deep stab wounds in her abdomen, um, which is pretty alarming to Chapel and Ubenga because they don't have any, you know, supplies or any way to do surgery because the, I think she makes mention the surgery pods are offline or whatever. So. Um, Chapel and Ubanga are basically forced to do old school surgery, like you know, scalpels and 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 stitches kind of thing. Yeah, he t- asks Nurse Chapel how you know how's her sewing skills, and she's yeah. you know she seems a little, like she doesn't seem comfortable with this idea, but she says you know okay, I'm game, like I'll try. Doesn't he call it archaeological medicine? Yes, yes, he does. That's, <laughs> That's the great. exact term he uses. <laughs> so he's like, it'd be like somebody today, basically. You know, saying, okay, we got to break out the leeches because we don't yeah. have a hospital available. Yeah, his line to Chapel is, if I recall, you have an interest in archaeological medicine. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. 
the enter the enterprise is in the brown giant brown dwarf and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do they do not have weapons they don't have shields so they have no phasers and all but one of their torpedoes has been destroyed um ortegas calls the gorn the boogeyman uh she makes mention that no one has seen them, you know, that they've always just sort of been this scary figure that exists in the Star Trek universe, but, you know, they were not, not, no one had, has confirmed, um, sighting of the Gorn and Laon has seen them though. And she says plenty of people have seen the Gorn. They just don't live long enough to talk about it. Right. She says they're just plain evil. Yeah. Um, which I gotta say, I don't love these types of episodes where they're up against just an insurmountable foe. I mean, it's a, it's a cool action plot. Um, but the, 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 the Gorn as a, as a nemesis in this is, is pretty underwhelming. It's just like uninteresting. I think there's parts where you're seeing Laon uh, hallucinate and see somebody in the hallways. We've seen, yeah, her, she's yeah we've to... seen him a couple of times by now. We don't know who this person is, but she keeps seeing them standing behind people. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, so and and it happens typically when like they talk about the Gorn. It seems so. It seemed it, I was um, under the impression, at least up until this part in the the episode, that maybe Laon was um, like um, traumatized by them in a way that caused her to hallucinate, like the Gorn were implanting oh. like these weird hallucinations in her. I mean, my mind was kind of going a little crazy about like what this, these things could be with respect to the Gorn. Um, it is explained. But we'll learn yeah. more later. So mm-hmm. I, I did make mention. So Laon is clearly super freaked out. Like you said, she's got some PTSD about the Gorn and uh, Pike does give her a little bit of a pep talk. Cause everybody's kind of looking to her um, as chief of security, and especially the one that has the most experience with the Gorn, or any experience, I suppose. And he says to her, he says, get a crew to believe in miracles, and they just might give you one. So he's he's basically letting her know that the crew is kind of looking to her, and if she's going to be freaked out and and losing her stuff because the Gorn are involved, then the crew is going to respond accordingly. So he's trying to get her to rise to the occasion. He's Another doing great his captain thing. Talk. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, like you said. So, um, right about then, uh, Spock finds a way to track the Gorn in a gas giant, um, and he basically is going to do some um, hand wa- Star Trek science hand wavy stuff. And Pike's quote is that you just found a way to turn a compass into radar. So they are going to be able to do very basic tracking of the Gorn ship that has followed them into this brown dwarf. Yeah, which I mean, th- this this is one of the less out there scientific yeah. explanations we've heard. Basically, he says that they have these navigational sensors that are designed to detect, you know, changes in the environment around them, and they use that to you know kind of plot their position. But that you know, when it's seeing a change in the environment, they can infer from that where this other ship is traveling because it's disturbing the gases of the brown giant, which, which kind of makes sense. So yeah, that's fine. I didn't have, a, I mean, of all the things that, you know, the weird science they get into this, this was fine. Yeah, I didn't this one's, this one's not bad at all. It's yeah. There's plausible. a couple, couple terms in this episode that I had to look up. They say it's like Coriolis forces, Coriolis forces that they're detecting. The NAVCOM uses for that, that detection. And that's a real term, I guess um, for, 
it's a real sciencey term. I don't know. It's too. It's above my head. But it's, it's an actual. It's term. displacement of gas, basically. So it's if you have an object moving through a gaseous, you know, a yeah, cloud of gas, you can see that you know it's going to disrupt it, and there's going to be currents that get created. So, yeah, not bad. So uh, what we see is uh, Pike. Actually, so now they're able to detect this these Gorn ships in the the Brown Dwarf, and so um, Pike orders uh, Luzuniga. So I don't know if we've seen Zuniga before, but not uh, that I recall. He he orders him to arm the last torpedo, but he mentions that they don't have any targeting because all the targeting is off. And um, Pike says, "Oh, don't worry, we're not going to fire it. We're going to drop it on them." So this is like a, I wrote, this is a one in a million shot. They have no targeting. They're literally just going to get the Enterprise above this Gorn ship. And the gravity from this brown dwarf is going to pull the torpedo down. And if they can get this right, it'll hit the Gorn ship and blow it up. So you'll never guess what happens. It works. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they blow up the Gorn ship because, you know, it has to in, in Star Trek. And so, uh, which is great. The, the crew is very happy that they've at least taken out this Gorn ship. And right about then, multiple new Gorn signatures show up in this brown dwarf. So um, I think La'an mentions that the Gorn sacrificed that ship to get the Enterprise's location. So they, they yeah, sacrificed that, that's, the entire that's Pike's ship. line. He, yeah, Pike that, sounds kind of incredulous, like, oh man, I didn't even think of that, but these, wow, these guys sure are ruthless. They were willing to sacrifice a ship just so they could figure out where we were. So Which is such a foreign idea to him. I mean, he, this is something Pike oh, would right. never even consider doing. So, right. So, I like the look of this torpedo, just like real quick. It's kind of a cool, like, Tron. Didn't look like a normal, you know, cylindrical thing. It looked like a package that was uh, pretty cool looking. <laughs> yeah, the design on it was was new. We haven't seen that particular one um the uh like star trek move the original series movies and next generation had a torpedo design that was similar to this it's kind of a like mon like black monolith looking thing with rounded edges um this one was a little more square shaped than that those were kind of long and you know elongated rectangles this is more of like a anyway yeah and, and yeah it had like a blue light effect around it all a Tron. Yeah, that's I think they I think it. they put some more budget into this episode as as far as like Oh definitely, yeah. There's a lot more effect shots in this episode than we've seen in some of the other ones. So after the, the Gorn ship is destroyed, new um signatures show up on the radar, whatever this they've come up with. Um and they make mention that one of them is a really large ship. So now there's a really big Gorn ship that's you know hunting them. So there are now three Gorn ships and one Enterprise. So it's three to one and they've already sacrificed one ship. So we're getting the sense that the Gorn are they are here to play. So and, and the Enterprise now has no weapons because Yes, they are completely right. Yeah, they have no power for phasers and they had one torpedo that they've now used. So Pike orders the Enterprise to go deeper into the brown dwarf because they need to get away from these ships. They need to get away from their last location because the Gorn knows they were there. So the the ship is is getting crushed um because the pressure from the brown dwarf is is causing hull integrity issues. So um, 
Pike actually they make mention that the the lower decks are going to feel this first, and that the lower decks are going to have um, are going to start to collapse. So actually, Pike orders the bulkheads closed because that's the only way they can keep the integrity of the ship. And it, it was actually it looked like it was a pretty hard decision for Pike to make because he's essentially sacrificing the crew. Anybody that did not get out of those lower decks, you well, know, first he, yeah, he orders them evacuated because they know oh, these right. last couple decks are going to get crunched. And so they're having everybody evacuate out of there. But while that's happening, they're being pursued. He says, okay, well, we got to go deeper to get away from these guys. And Spock basically says, Hey, we're not done with the evacuation. There's still people in the last few decks. Right. Uh, but, uh, if you're intending to keep moving down, we're going to have to seal them now, or the ship's going to be destroyed. I mean, and that's... Pike looks awfully haunted by this decision, but uh, he he makes it pretty quickly. He yeah. he's uh, so we see this is kind of the first time we've seen him have to make a, a particularly tough call as a captain. That's um, probably, probably the worst call you have to make. I mean, you literally oh it's, yeah, I mean, it's the ship, the or I'm going to sacrifice. Or I'm going to sacrifice a couple crew member. I mean, yeah, that's rough. So right, and we've we've kind of spent some time seeing in this episode how much he cares about his crew and the people that work for him. And yeah, now he's basically told by Spock, "You you got to make a snap judgment here." But it's you know, if if we're going to go farther, you're going to have to sacrifice a couple people. And he you know obviously does not want to do that. He's very hurt by having to make this decision. You can see the anguish on mm-hmm. his face. But he makes it very quickly. He doesn't hesitate and just says, yeah. yep, do it. It's worth noting that he does not pause and, you know, try and come up with something. He was just like, okay, it's got to be done. And he does it. So, yeah. I really like this because they, they quickly show a quick scene with two um, cadets or officers yeah. um, running in a hallway. One's injured and the other one's trying to help him. And only one of them makes it through the door. Yeah. And this is actually we so saw those two same officers in the intro when Pike is giving his like uh, memorial oh. day speech um sort of quickly implant those characters in our head cuz we I don't think we've seen them at all uh, any one other of them time. we have so that that was yeah this scene the end of this scene was not terribly surprising because uh one of these people we have seen on screen before and the other one we have not oh okay. so so uh one of them is chief Kyle Okay. Oh, that's who that was. Right, right. At least I'm pretty sure that's who it was. No, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, the other one is is Starfleet guy of the week, so... Generic generic crew member number 37. Yeah, so as they're running for the door, it's like, okay, uh, I think we know which one of these guys is getting through the doorway. (laughs) Right, right. It must have played better for me then, because I didn't really didn't get that dynamic. But it, I appreciated that they showed them kind of nodding at each other at the beginning, like like we got a quick hint that they're friends. Yeah. And then to see them in the scene, you know, it's a devastating scene. To, yeah, oh, it brutal. is, and, and, and yeah, I mean the the guy who doesn't make it sacrifice. You know, he's he's hobbling. He pushes him in. Chief yeah. Kyle is helping him get down the hallway, and then the wounded guy literally shoves chief kyle through the bulkhead so that he will escape because he knows there's not time for them both to make it so yeah it's a very very noble sacrifice on his part i mean can you imagine i mean if you're friends you're that guy oh, man. you're yeah. watching the door close and you know your friend is just gonna die on the other side that's gotta just be brutal right yeah yeah so Ugh. like these these episodes i mean i mean were... if, if if i was in a, i mean if nugent was about to die in front of me i'd be really broken up about it 
Somehow I'm getting sarcasm. Oh no, that. I'm no, I'm, that was uh, the joke was that if hmm? you Nugent were never mind. The joke was that I would be very broken up if you were to die, but not Scott. <laughs> oh, I but now that I've explained well, the joke. That's our <laughs> my favorite. My favorite jokes are the ones you have to explain. There, it, it, clearly, it was really funny and landed. <laughs> yeah. The, All right. We're, so, worked out well. I do want to say real quick though. This this is important. I think for these kind of episodes where it's really focused on action, um, like tense, um, like thrilling situations, you really need. These quick scenes or or impressions of how devastating and and um, hero, heroin uh, her, heroin yeah heroin stakes this in situation this episode are. that we haven't had we need, we need like now. visual um, yeah visual representations of the tragedies that are happening so I appreciate that part the, so. the one thing I noted um, on this because my notes for this episode were actually really long because the the scenes cut there's a lot of sh quick cuts instead of being a long drawn out scene for three or four minutes there's a lot of like 30 or 40 second scenes while they cut for the action and it reminds me of that Andor episode we were talking about where they had all those quick cuts and i think that's a way for the director to ratchet up the tension is that instead of you know getting a longer drawn out scene where you can pause and take your take a breath it's it's rapid hmm. fire cuts to all this different action, so your brain never has a chance to relax, and it, and it sort of makes you tense. And the only reason I noticed mm -hmm. that is because again, because my notes were so long, because I have a note try probably for every scene, and it's like, why are the, why is this one so much longer than the last episode? Well, it's because there just are more scenes because they're cutting to to ratchet up that tension. So, yeah, totally. That's something I've learned doing these podcasts. Um... And I think it's a pretty standard like practice for you know movies and shows to right. do quicker cuts to to in, in, indicate um, more tense or um, the pacing, quicking, um, yeah. increasing the it, pacing. Um, it makes things feel fast. It's there's you've got some kinetic energy. There's momentum going here. Like, there's basically two ways you can do tension and action. You can you can do a real slow burn in which, you know, we just sit with this situation and what's going to happen and, oh my God, are they going to get out of this as we're just sitting watching them sweat? Uh, or you can do this where you you quickly jump around and, and go from problem to problem to problem and don't let us sit too long with any one thing so that we're constantly getting, you know, more and more stressed about what's going on because we don't even have time to think. Oh, that's a yeah. good point. So, like, like the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards is like one of the most tense scenes ever. It's like twelve minutes, and there's only like what two cuts in it. But like you said, like you just sit there and you just soak in the stress. Versus something like this, where there's sixteen different things going on, and they flash between all of them. Yeah, and this, this is a, it's yeah, a pretty yeah. famous. There's a famous uh, interview with Alfred Hitchcock where he talks about you know how to get a suspense for an audience, and he says that. You know, one, you know, you can you can have two people sitting at a table and having a conversation for five minutes at the end of which a bomb goes off and the audience will be shocked and, you know, they'll be aghast and, and surprised. But that that feeling only is going to last for a couple of seconds. He says, or you can let the audience know that there's a bomb under the table and then have them talk for five minutes and they're going to feel that way for the entire time. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 
So while we're while we're going through all this stuff, there was also the Ahura and Hemmer situation that's kind of cutting back and forth to that. Yeah, there was. So, so I, I was going to talk about that at the end because it's there. It's super quick. The whole thing. So yeah, while this is going on, essentially, and and I, I didn't really find this Uhura Hemmer plot really necessary to the episode. This, this was, is the B plot of the episode, and it really feels like filler. It wasn't particularly strong. Like I was kind of hoping you, you'd get more from give Hemmer a chance to shine or her a chance to shine, but it really just kind of felt like like filler. So what we see is that Hemmer and Uhura are stuck in the cargo bay. Hemmer has a broken hand or hands, I don't remember, and they can't yeah, he, get he out. He gets crushed by this yeah. cargo container that then Uhura is able to lift off of him. So... Uh, you know, I guess it was empty or just full of something that wasn't that heavy. So, I mean, which I could see, you know, something falls on you, it's going to do some yeah. damage, but then she's able to lift it just enough that he can get out from under it. But his hands are now crushed, uh, and he's he's almost passing out from shock. And yeah. then they've got this uh, the atmospheric uh, regulator that they were delivering is is starting to go critical and explode. So they have to do their engineering thing to keep that from happening. Um, so apparently whatever this part is, it has some kind of crazy reactor on it or something. Yeah. So basically, so Hemmer can't use his hands and Uhura is not an engineer. So Hemmer basically has to walk Uhura through how to essentially disarm this thing, um, which is interesting in that we know again, that Hemmer is blind and he's able to walk her through what to touch and what, how to, position her hands because at one point she has to use two hands on the display instead of just one so it was interesting yeah. you know just because well, he see starts a little off more. with saying you know uh i'm the only one who can do this yeah right right uh as if you know this is you know this takes a genius and you're not yeah. so get out of the way and she's like hey you've got two broken hands i don't know what he he tries to do it right he starts trying to work with the interface and clearly can't because his hands are horribly mangled uh, and then she has to step in. But yeah, the whoever designed the interface on this device needs to go back to engineering school because it's yeah. super convoluted. Like I said, they need two hands on two different displays on on opposite edges of this thing. So they're like they're like straddling the right. corner of the device and like have their hands on either side. It's it's super super convoluted. Yeah, uh, not sure why uh, that was the in, the intended design, but you know maybe it's designed for two people to operate or something. But so, uh, like you said, this is a B plot. It feels like filler. I, I, there's not a whole lot going on here. The the only thing that I took with the notes I took on this were that uh, Uhura is able to do what she needs to do. Hemmer walks her through it, and and they save the day. Essentially, this thing isn't going to you know blow up. Um, but she Hemmer starts to pass out, and so Uhura is talking to him, and she's trying to keep him conscious. And she says, um, essentially, she's asking him about his, you know, race or whatever. She says, so the Anar, because he's an Anar, that's the, his species. She says, the Anar are pacifists. How does that work? And um, his line, or Hemmer's line is, I will not fight for Starfleet, but I will defend its ideals. Pacifism is not passivity. It is the active protection of all living things in the natural universe. So I thought that was a really cool line. Because yeah, it was. Cl clearly, I mean, Starfleet, I mean, they're not out starting wars, but they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. And so this was an interesting way for his character to say, 
look, I'm not going to carry on a phaser and shoot guys in the face, but I will essentially go out and defend other people from getting shot in the face. So I, I thought that was a cool line. That was essentially from that B plot. That was the only thing I really took away was that I thought that was a cool line and it gives you a little more backstory on Hemmer. Yeah. And we get, we get another episode where Hura gets to shine a little bit and show that she's, you know, she is kind of this wonderkind who's come onto the flagship, even though she's a cadet, she's clearly extremely capable. Uh, you know, Henmer kind of underestimates her and she gets to show him up a little bit, but yeah, really this is just here to fill some time. Yeah. I I appreciated the, the relationship building that we're getting here and we may see more of a Hura in engineering. Um, I actually thought that line was really cheesy and kind of like out of place. Really? In the episode. Uh, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was, I didn't feel like it was appropriate. I mean, it's a fine line on its own, but it just kind of felt like, Oh, where's, where's the development for that in this episode? What, why is that a theme? Um, I guess it's fine as sort of a quick backstory for Hammer, but yeah, uh, I think it's more backstory than it is appropriate to this particular story. That that was, I think, uh, what did you call it, Ben? You said Star Trek is best when it's a morality play. I think yeah. that's that's really playing into that morality play aspect, right? You know, that th- there's a reason that we're out here and that there's a reason that we do what we do. And, you know, this is giving at least this one particular character, you know, mm-hmm. license yeah, I, I, to do I what he does. I, I liked the, the relationship thing going. I liked the fact that Hemmer, um, you know, is trying to guide Uhura through this impossible situation. I liked the little moment there, but it also like it kind of ends with him saying, now we can actually get started. Um, but then we don't really see any more of it. So it, it doesn't really um, pay out. I think maybe there's more scenes that we, they cut out from this, but um, yeah, I, I'm in agreement overall. It wasn't super satisfying. Well, let's, let's get back on track a little bit here. We got sidetracked. So let's see, where were we? So the next thing that we see of note is um, Pike is giving a voiceover basically to the audience, um, the status of this mission. He mentions that three civilians and seven of my crew have lost their lives. So we know, uh, at least at this point, that it's it's not just the crew that's being affected, um, that some of these civilians that they were attempting to rescue are also having have have died as well. So this is clearly weighing on Pike's um, mind. Um, and so they're trying to figure out what they can do as they're deeper in this gas or this uh, brown dwarf, like with no weapons and no power, like what are they going to do? So at, at one point, Laon makes uh, the suggestion that she will take one of the shuttles and go scout out these Gorn ships and see if they can, you know, come up with a plan. So uh, Spock and her end up on uh, the shuttle Galileo. And so the next real quick though, before we get to that, there is a bit of a moment they get, they get kind of a win with this strategy to go deep into the Brown dwarf in that one of the ships pursuing them gets crushed. Right. Uh, And um, you know, they were going deeper uh, despite the danger and they had to sacrifice some of the crew to do so. Uh, but then this ship pursuing them gets crushed, and Pike's line uh, to Laon is that, you know, she she one of the things she told him about the Gorn is that they're relentless. They will, you know, when they're hunting something, they will never stop. And so he tells her, you know, I was counting on that, that they would continue to follow me even when it became too dangerous for their ship. And that worked. It blew up one of the ships pursuing them. 
So they've got a little bit of breathing room now from the other, you know, the mothership and the remaining fighter, I guess you'd say. But it's kind of a theme in this episode that Pike has a lot of faith in the Enterprise and its crew. Like, you're right, the, the ship is being crushed, but he's he's cautiously optimistic about it. And it comes up a little bit later, so I don't well, want to jump I mean, Specifically, yeah. you know, at one point, Spock says, you know, this isn't a good idea, you know, that we're, you're taking a huge risk here. And he, he says, no, I know the Enterprise can take it. Yeah, right. Um, so what we see is we see Spock and La'an in the shuttle, and they're going to go out and scan this um, corn ship and see what comes up. So they get within, I assume, visual range of the Gorn ship, and you see these the two Gorn ships, and um, they are like flashing lights at each other. And at first they think that they're scanning each other. Like, why would these two Gorn ships be scanning each other? And La'an says, it's not a scan. Um, La'an has seen this before. So La'an is flashing back. She's Like I said, she's got some PTSD about the Gorn, and she thinks that maybe deep in her mind she knows um, what the Gorn are doing and maybe a, a plan for how to beat them. So she asks Spock to mind meld to read um, her mind for some sort of solution. And I think Spock has a great line where he says, the mind meld is not a shortcut for dealing with mental trauma. Resurf- resurfacing hidden memories can be painful. Yeah, which is but, a nice touch because we, yeah. we've seen it, it, you know, in past episodes of Star Trek where the mind melds come up. We've kind of seen it used as a shortcut for yeah, dealing right. with mental trauma. Yeah. So it's nice for them to acknowledge that uh, he can't fix this in one session. You know, this isn't something that's going to magically cure her just to bring up these memories. Yeah. I, I wish they would have developed the mind meld um, a little bit more. Is there any more mind melds in like episode one? Because I didn't rewatch that one. I don't think he's done it. I, I think this is the first mind meld we've seen in Strange New Worlds, but it's well documented yes. in the Star War in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my god. Okay. I, and, yeah, uh, I understand that. The, the two fans we had have left, and and two fans we might have gotten have now refused to start listening to the podcast. So yeah, I mean, Star Wars and Star Trek—they're basically the same thing, right? Yeah, but when you refer to one as the other, the Uber fans I mean, get super pissed. They're all, they're all the, <laughs> it's all, it's all spaceships and so lasers. What Spock is doing here is using the Force, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, so, yes. Uh huh. Okay. And I think Yoda is just around the corner. We learned it from Yoda. Okay, but so, no, I, I wish, I wish they would have set up the mind melt because it's a big deal, right? I, I understand yes. that it's like a really intense procedure that Spock has done. I've, I've, I know about it. But I really wish this show, you know, let's start over. Let's, let's, you know, um, build up this mind meld, this technique, rather than than what I feel like they use it as a shortcut in this shuttle scene. Yeah, they, it's it's just like a quick tool they use to. I mean, it, there's some cool scenes um, in the mind meld where we see, you know, stuff from Leon and the actual backstory of of her brother. Um, and how she, he dies, and then um, she learns the the codes, um, this this Morse code type thing. That's fine, but it's a really quick, easy way to to find you know to to solve this problem. That it was would, would be fine if they built the, if they uh, that, that's pretty that much always before. how the mind meld is yeah. used. Um, and it, also, you know, we're running out of runtime here. They gotta they gotta hurry this up. Yeah, it was it was definitely kind of a cop out. Like we're just gonna pull out these traumatic memories from her history. Hey, look, what do you know? Deep deep in her subconscious, she does know what these Gorn are doing. 
Um, she, like you said, she flashes back to herself and, and the, the man that she was seeing, she was hallucinating before. It turns out that that was her older brother. Um, they were at one point on a Gorn prison planet or something somewhere, um, being hunted or followed by the Gorn. Um, La'an's older brother sacrifices himself to save her, essentially. I did make m- mention or did make note that in the flashback, did you guys think that the Gorn sounded like predators? Yeah, a little bit. You know, like the little clicky sound. The, the, the clicky made. sound. Yeah, it's definitely in that vein. My and, very, uh, yeah. mindless say, hunters, like they, they, they yeah. really just want to hunt. Yep, that was their whole deal. So, mm-hmm. um, but basically, what happens in the flashback is Laon's brother gives Laon essentially a Rosetta Stone paper about this scan that it's like a whole book. So that's the thing. Yeah. It's like he's, he's like the, you know, the Charles Darwin of the, the Gorn. <laughs> yeah. Somehow he's had time to do this extensive study of them and write this whole journal about how they think and operate. I, I don't know quite yeah. how that happened, but uh, good for him. He did his little doctoral thesis on the Gorn and hands it to her. And now she, she remembers their light code. But yeah, it was essentially Morse code, right? Like dots and yeah. that You know, this maps to A, this maps to B, which is in, in no way how real linguistics work. But, you know, yeah, that's, that's Star Trek. So uh, at this point, you know, the mind meld is over. And now Laon realizes that the, the scan and the lights that these two ships were doing on each other were them communicating. Because the Gorn, much like the Enterprise, their comms are down inside of this um, brown dwarf. So they're forced to use old school communication styles. So um, she realizes that hey, maybe I can use this newfound knowledge to our advantage, and so and this is where I got a little confused. Laon uses the lights to tell the Gorn that humans have boarded their vessel, and then the one Gorn ship fires on the other Gorn ship. Is that what happened? Yeah, and it's it, th- this is really hand wavy, so I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about it because they just you know it's an aside that she basically says, oh yeah, I, okay, I figured out the light code and. Now I've shined some light at the other ship to make them think that their fighter is telling the mothership that humans have boarded them. Uh, and then, yeah, immediately the mothership just opens up with everything and destroys the fighter. And Laon comments to Spock that the Gorn, uh, you know, believe in survival of the fittest and in any sign of weakness, they will turn on each other. Yeah, well, calling just... the weak makes them stronger. I actually like that oh. that little bit, like... um. It, not just like the humans board, but that they've taken them over and right. So that they, they're now a weakness. And so they're like, ah, well, I just thought it was, I mean, you know, it felt a little bit hand wavy to me. Cause it was like this, cause the, the shuttle was essentially hiding. They were just sitting there watching them. Then all of a sudden this shuttle that they didn't know who it was starts flashing them signs, which basically said, mm-hmm. you've been taken over. And then with zero hesitation, the one ship blows up the other ship. Like, yeah, it was a little okay. too easy. It was, it was, it was pretty easy. It was a cop out. Cause she, you know, had this Morse code or whatever, but it works. It's enough to get the, the plot moving again. Wait, so, okay, one... sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I need to back up a little bit. And I really meant to ask this question. Why are they on the shuttle? What because they, they say they're going to go out on the shuttle so they can get a closer look at the other ship and do some scans as, as, isn't it a suicide mission that they say? This is like a suicide yeah. mission. It's like like, hundred percent necessary yeah. for something like navigation. Okay, maybe I'm they, they, they were they were they were running out of ideas because the the Enterprise yeah. is completely 
you know, it doesn't have any weapons or anything, and, and it's too big. They can't use it to go scout with. So I think it was just kind of like a Hail Mary pass. Yeah, it, it's not really well explained what they hope to gain by doing this. I, again, th- this whole part was a little bit like you just, okay, fine, whatever. For it, some yeah. reason, they decided to go out on a shuttle, and, you know, they get okay. the key to... Bl- yeah, this this part, you kind of just have to turn your mind off and, and go with it, because if you think about it for even a second, it falls apart. You see, another instance where I wish they would have developed this, because they really indicate that this is a suicide mission, like this is a big deal on volunteers, and then Spock decides to go with her, and and they kind of build it up that way, but I wish there was more, like, surrounding support for this thing. There's a lot of ideas happening. Yeah. Um, They just need to slow it down a little bit, and like... Well, or, or, you know, this, it it feels like this episode could have done with ditching the B plot with Hammer yeah, and Uhura. And then they would have more time for potential. Yeah. Sure. yeah, sure. So uh basically so they get the Gorn to blow themselves up or blow one of their ships up. Uh, now before you know in this same scene where they're still in the shuttle we get uh an interesting tidbit with Spock where uh Whoa, you know yes. Laon has has gotten a little bit of you know the mind meld works both ways. So Spock gets to bring up Laon's repressed memories. They go through that. He sees what she's remembering. Uh, and, you know, she gets some, you know, blowback from Spock's brain as well and gets this insight that, uh, you know, as he's seeing these repressed memories of hers uh, and being sad about losing her brother who sacrificed himself, that he's feeling some of those same feelings. So she's able to infer that he too lost someone who sacrificed themselves for him. And uh, we, we find out it's his sister who I don't think we've heard anything about before this. We, we have not. So that that's very much a discovery plot. So actually Michael Burnham, the main character on discovery is Spock's sister. And I don't want to go to details on it, but so they are siblings and that comes out in the show. And you have to remember that this Adoptive, took, right? Uh, I think so. I don't remember. What, yeah. what, so the, what happens in Discovery is that the Discovery ship, they open a you know a time warp. They go way into the future. And so that's the beginning of this show. And that happens at the end of season two. So essentially what happens is that Spock's sister, Michael Burnham, she sacrifices herself to go into the future to save Spock. So that's why Spock is in this timeline and Discovery is now, whatever, 400 years in the future. So for what it's worth, she doesn't die. She's just no longer in his life because she's living in a different time. Okay. So this was a callback to something that some of the audience already knows. Yes. Whereas, yeah, for me, this felt like this was uh, kind of a hint at something that would be coming later. So that's interesting. So let's see. Um, at, At this point, I believe the, the shuttle goes back to discovery and basically tells them, what has happened. And um, I think uh, Pike comes up with this plan that they are going to use there. Oh, there's a, there's a black hole also in the, this Brown dwarf. And so they start talking about some sciencey stuff. And, and basically what they come up with is Pike comes up with this idea that they are going to use the gravity of the black hole to slingshot the enterprise out of this Brown dwarf but they can't just do that because the second they leave the brown dwarf, then they'll show up on the scanners of the Gorn, and then they'll get attacked. So what they what um, 
or Pike asks Spock to explain a gravitational redshift. And he basically goes into this explanation that near the edge of a black hole, that the way that space and time and gravity works is that um, it will visually appear that the Enterprise has not moved um, because of the gravity will holds light. I don't know how this the science of it works, but it is. Yeah. Legit, and and this one's actually science. legit. Yeah, yeah. Redshift is a real thing where, uh, you know, the perception mm-hmm. of. It, it's know. yeah, it's light though. It's you know, so if they have right. fancy defense. Anyway, so the point is is that the enterprise is gonna the slingshot itself out of the black hole and because of the, the or out of the wed the brown dwarf and because of the gravity, the Gorn will not see that the Enterprise has moved and they will not know that they have escaped. Um so there is some concern from the crew that the Enterprise is already compromised and you're going to be putting a lot of stress on her if you decide to slingshot around this black hole. And and Pike says, um, she says, she'll hold. And so he's had faith in his ship this whole time. So I really like the faith he has just in the ship itself. He he's He's convinced that she can handle it. And so Ortegas has a great line where she says, if we pull this off, it's officially the Pike maneuver. Yeah. And he specifically says that, you know, I know the Enterprise and I know that yeah. she can take it. Yeah. So um, the uh, basically what they're going to do is they are going to slingshot themselves out of this uh, black hole and they are going to use the um, whatever the, the atmospheric unit that that Uhura and Hemmer are repairing. They're going to they're going to open the cargo bay doors and, and blast out everything that's in the cargo bay as sort of like a, a boost, I think. Um, well, no, it's, I mean, the, the idea here is, and this comes back to the title Memento Mori. So uh, Pike is thinking that uh, in order for them to get away, they have to die. So, uh, you know, the Gorn are never going to stop trying to get them unless they think they're dead. So Okay. One, we can use this redshift effect to try to hide our movements getting away. And two, we can make them think we've died so they stop looking for us. And between the two of those things, we can get away. Okay. So, yeah, they're going to eject everything from the cargo bay as they go slingshotting around this black hole. And the detonation of this uh, atmospheric unit that they're carrying is going to simulate the detonation of the Enterprise to make them think that they're dead. So, um, but Uhura and Hemmer are in the cargo bay and they can't just be blasted out. So they put on suits and they essentially tie themselves down so they don't get ejected with this. You know, in the meantime, you know, uh, Hemmer's trying to not pass out and go into shock from all this pain. Um, And so uh, Pike gives another, I I just, I put, he gives off another badass monologue. I want to know how much Anson Mount is uh, bribing the writers because he gets some great lines. So what he he does an all commun uh, all ship communication, and I'm going to read this just because it's super cool. Um, so Pike's line to the crew is right before they're going to try and get out of this brown dwarf. Is he says, "Attention, this is the captain speaking. Earlier today, we were reminded of the cost of exploration, what it means to chart the stars, to push the boundaries of what is known and what is possible." When we seek out the unknown, we will find things that challenge us, that frighten us. But we do not back down. We do not give in to fear. And I believe today will not be our last mission, but our finest hour. So, like, I don't know what Anson Mount is, like, how much money he's bribing the writers with. But whatever it is, it's working because I am on board. Well, the captain always gets the best model. 
That's but I mean, he's had like two or three, like in this one episode. Anyway, so yeah, no, we're is, pulling out all the stops that Pike's yep. heroic. Yep. So uh, they they and do he's really the, sweaty. Sorry, real quick, he's really sweaty throughout the episode. Which is well, everybody's sweaty because yeah, yeah. The AC is essentially right. They, yeah, they really point. look stressed, and uh, they yeah. do. I yeah, well, props for that. Again, we'll the, come back to. I'll, I'll have some comments on this at the end. But that that's this is this is a submarine episode. Everyone has to look sweaty and or wet the entire time. That's the rule. Mm, okay. Uh, so the Enterprise does its little, you know, slingshot out of the black hole. Um, it works. Um, I did make mention that, and I think it was just recently that that scientists have actually they found a way to take a, a photograph of a black hole because the, the point of a black hole is it sucks in light, so it's not something you can take a picture of. Right. I, I can't remember if, if if NASA figured out how to take a picture or if they did some scientific, you know, modeling or whatever. But the yeah, it's. Uh, not a, a photo in that they have, you know, a, a light sensor that's taking in light and grabbing yeah. a snapshot of it. It's, you know, they're using uh, all kinds of different readings to then they they do some, you know, processing on it to produce an image. But, you know, it is not what you would see if you were looking at a black hole. Well, the you point is, anything, really. Whatever that picture was, I remember I saw it online. I think NASA published it or whatever, or whatever college generated it. Yeah. But they use the exact picture in the episode. So when the Enterprise like slingshots around, you see that sort of like swirly black hole image. And I just thought it was neat that they used a mm. real, yeah. real picture. Same and... thing was used in uh, the movie Interstellar for their black hole, that same image. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's some good science going on there. Um, so sure enough, everything works, um, for whatever, I mean, we don't see the Gorn anymore. The Gorn do not pursue. So their mission, their maneuver has succeeded and they're going to limp back to, I assume the nearest starbase for repairs. Um, Laon's, one of Laon's closing lines is the Gorn has never come this far before they're opening new hunting grounds. So, um, uh, this will not be the last time we see the Gorn. Um, clearly yeah. there's, there's some... They're setting the Gorn up to be the bad guys in, um, in mm-hmm. the show, and uh, the, the last thing, one of the last things we see is an exterior shot of the Enterprise sort of limping away. And I did note that it has the OG like swirly kind of red nacelles that you only see in the original yeah. series. So I thought that was a cool throwback. Uh, most things on on the Enterprise are are pretty modern in this, but they did keep those kind of OG nacelles, which I thought was cool. And then the very last thing that you see before the the credits roll is Ortegas putting on her, or I'm sorry, not Ortegas, Laon putting on her Remembrance Day pin that she did not want to wear at the beginning of the episode, because now she has been, you know, in the trenches and she has lost crew members on a mission that she was involved in. So you know, she has come full circle and is willing and, to embrace. Yeah, and it's almost as if the mind meld was a shortcut to dealing with her mental illness. <laughs> Do you think she's 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 cured now? I mean Well you know they they obviously put some work into Laon in this episode and the Memorial um day um plot point is is a is a way to let us know that she has trouble she, she basically like remembers that tragedy all the time so she doesn't need like the pin to like to like remember she doesn't have a healthy relationship with her trauma um he didn't want to remember before was the thing she didn't she didn't want to think about it she didn't want to remember it and now she's you know at least started to come to terms with it and is willing to at least entertain the idea of 
you know, remembering these people she lost. And so now she's wearing the pin. So she's remembering her brother and, and, you know, honoring his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So we've got, we've gone a little long, but uh, I think as a, as an episode, this was a decent episode. It, it wasn't great. Some of the plot points were a little bit, you know, meh in my mind, but it, it was a fun episode. So I have really mixed feelings about this one. The parts of it are my favorite episode so far. And then other, but on the whole, there's just a lot. Yeah. The, the, the B plot with Hemmer and Uhura took a lot of the wind out of the sails. Uh, The whole thing with the, you know, going in the, the mind meld part was, was cool. I didn't have an issue with that. The, the shuttlecraft piece was a little bit, you know, tacked on and quick. Um, you know, some of the some of the sciencey stuff got kind of hand wavy, but um, I, you know, if you just lay out like here's what's going to happen in this episode, I, you know, on paper this is my favorite one. Uh, but the 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 execution wasn't there. Yeah, I I agree. It had a lot of potential. So this this is a submarine episode. We've we've seen these a lot before in Star Trek. Um, one of the the best episodes of the original series uh, from the first season uh, called Balance of Terror uh, is a similar to, setup like this. Do you have to look up episode names or do you look Absol- No, no, no. I, I have to look them up. No, okay. I'm not the guy who cool. has. No, I remembered this episode existing, but I had to go look up the name. I, I okay. have no idea what the episode titles are unless I go look. Uh, so Balance of Terror is the 14th episode of the first season. Uh, had to look that up too. <laughs> uh, but it's it's this same scenario. The Enterprise is, uh, f- in this case, it's the Romulans. I, I believe it's the first uh, yeah. on you know it's the first mention of the Romulans in the Star Trek canon, I believe, uh, or or at least it's the first time we see them. They may have been mentioned in a previous episode of the you know I'm not sure, but uh, it's the first Romulan episode that's out there, uh, and. The the interesting thing is that, um, you know, these two ships are kind of duking it out. The Enterprise and the Romulans are fighting each other, but they never interact with each other. Mm. It's all just this game of cat and mouse in this nebula as they're flying around. You know, it's the same kind of thing. They don't have sensors. Their weapons aren't really working very well. Uh, and they're just kind of flying blind, uh, trying to outmaneuver each other and outsmart each other. Uh, same scenario here, and it, it feels very submarine-like. It's you know all the shots are really cramped, like Nugent said. Everybody's sweaty, or you know, uh, it and you get some suspense as it's going through. So it, this has been done before. Uh, I mean, obviously in Wrath of Khan, there's that's a huge part of Wrath of Khan is these two ships duking it out in a nebula where you know sensors aren't working and their weapons are down and all that stuff. Um, I think what what really works in those Star Trek stories that this one didn't have is that you see that back and forth. The The crews of the two ships are not necessarily interacting with each other, but we get to see how each side is perceiving this conflict. In Balance of Terror, that originally series episode, we spend a lot of time on the Romulan ship with the Romulan captain trying to outsmart Kirk. Then we see Kirk reacting to him and back and forth. Um, in Wrath of Khan, obviously, we get a lot of things happening with Khan and his crew. In this, the Gorn are just these boogeymen. We never even see them. We only see their ships. Yeah, it's worth it's worth mentioning that you never see a Gorn person. I mean, in fact, you only really see the ships very, very briefly. So they're largely a faceless enemy 
Yeah, he, and and that can be menacing. You know, you yeah, can, yeah. if you have an an enemy you can't see, uh, you know that that can lead to some suspense. But you can only pull that off for so long. Uh, eventually, you need to have you know some knowledge of of the threat, or it's just this thing that's out there that. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I I, I like this style of episode a lot. Um, and I feel like this one could have been a real home run, but just the execution was missing something. Um, Pike gets a lot of time to shine. He gets a lot of good heroic speeches. That part's great. Um, the plot is fine. It's just, yeah, it, there's just a bit of a miss in how they implemented it. Hmm. I, I would have I... liked to spend, you know, cut the hammer and, and Uhura piece and have some time with, let's see what the, what, why are yeah. the Gorn doing this? Let's have someone on the Gorn who's trying to, you know, do something smarter, interesting that makes them more of a challenging enemy. So you want to do your rating then? Yeah, what's your rating then? Uh I'm gonna give this one a six. Okay. Hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a little bit from the previous episodes. Um, you know, I feel like this this could have been much higher for me if if they had done this setup a little better, but it fell flat. I don't really, I'll go next. I, I don't have any, I, that was really well said. I, I can't add anything to that. I think you hit the nail on the head um, that the execution on this episode was, it was okay. It wasn't great. I, I really loved Pike getting a chance to shine under pressure. I thought that was really cool. Um, and uh, I thought that just a little bit more of the backstory of Hemmer, where you learn about him being a pacifist and that line I thought was really cool. Um, but you know, as far as adding much to the the show or the lore, uh, you know, being a bottle episode, this yeah was kind of meh. Um, there it, are it moments in this episode that are my favorite of the series so far. Yeah, you know, some of those Pike moments, the whole thing with the you know the bulkheads being crushed and them having you know to make the decision to sacrifice some of the crew. Right. That we see that the stakes are really high here. This episode had moments that I think are the best the show's ever been. But then it had some real dips. Uh, I agree with you. I, I mean, I'll give it. Uh, I want to say I'll give it a six point five. It, it was it was not great, not terrible. Jason, wow! I thought I was going to deviate from you guys a lot because general consensus on this episode is really highly rated. Like this is one of the the better episodes that, yeah. that I like kind of was... looked into as far as what it, what it's rated. I think it's got like an 8.5 on IMDb of, um, of, at least I'm looking at the movie DB right now. And of the first four episodes, this one's rated the highest. Yeah. Which seems, yeah. Which seems really surprising to me. I was, so I felt kind of crazy looking up other reviews and I'm like, this, this is really not, <laughs> this episode kind of made me angry. Um, there's a couple things I didn't like about it. One, this is um, very like PVE. This is the this is a uh, Star Trek versus the environment. Um, the Gorn were kind of mindless baddies. They're just um, they're not really a character. They're just an element that they're fighting against. Also, yeah. they're they're battling against the black hole. So they're like you say. There's not the the interaction with with an enemy that you're you can characterize and that you can give some more depth to. It's more of a battle against your environment, um, which is fine, but um, I would appreciate more a slowing down of the stakes and like maybe get rid of a few of these different um, elements, these stakes. There was a lot happening. I think of like Top Gun Maverick 
Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a I, I'm a dumb guy, but that and that script was dumb as nails. Like everything was reiterated yep. multiple times. Everything was really slowly, not slowly communicated, but like very clearly communicated. Like as the, as they're um, tr- performing that that um, that attack on. Yeah, they make sure the audience has a very yeah. good understanding of what this mission's going to look like before we ever get there. Yeah, like the 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 first shot is successful and like one of one of the generals is like, "Oh, that's miracle number 1." And they're like, "Now they just need to do it again." And then like some other says like, "That was the first time. That was, you know, we're going to just have to do that again." Like they reiterate the th- the stakes over and over. Um, but it makes it makes it for a very clear and um just a yeah, well... no, nobody's lost by what's happening. Everybody yeah. is able to follow the action because we've laid out very clearly what this is going to be. Yeah, here, here they we just kind of have to let the jargon wash over our brains and assume like things that are happening are very serious and you know pro- that's Star know, Trek, pro- baby. <laughs> Which is fine. I just you, you I'd rather have more interesting sci-fi elements. Um, and if they're gonna do something like this, they need to, like I said, reiterate things um, clearly give you an impact of the stakes. Like I said, I really appreciate that scene of those two, you know, um, scouts or, or officers, you know, racing yeah. uh, towards the door closing. And one of them is, is just blasted over on the other side of it. As you see, he's dying. His friends. Yeah, that's, that's the most real the series has been so far. Right. Yeah. So I appreciate that. Um, but overall, this is just not my favorite kind of Star Trek that uh, that's out there. So, like six out of ten is is mine. So I'm I'm surprised I'm more in line with you guys. I, I think this episode had a ton of potential. Like Ben said, it just it didn't didn't have enough time or enough runway to get up to speed to get the story completely across. So, well, you know, we we've you know we're we're on our, our this is our longest podcast so far, uh, and I think it's because this episode is full of contradictions. There's a lot to say. Because it's not just good or bad. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of good elements in there. Yeah, that I'll give it credit for. A lot of intense moments. Um Yeah, if this was just hell- a total miss, a total stinker, we'd have talked about it for a half hour and moved on. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I guess that's a good point. Yeah, we uh, because the potential was there, there was more all right. More room for discussion. But I assume that the Gorn are gonna be kind of the major baddies of this series like the the borg are to next generation that's certainly uh, the implication and and you know we'll see as we go um i can't imagine i'm gonna get my wish but i i really want it to be a guy in a suit yeah. but uh, i have a feeling they're gonna be cg we'll see yeah. all right uh any other closing words before we call it we've been talking for at least an hour and 15 minutes yeah, I think we're we're past that even. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I think we've said it all. But uh, the bones are there. I mean, they've this yeah, this had a I, lot of potential. There's this could have been a great episode, and so I have hope that they can improve as we go. Yeah, I want to watch more. I really like Pike. I really like Spock. Ahura is one of my favorite. Hemmer. Um, a lot of characters in this show are. I'm are growing on me and I want to see more of it. Yeah, so. we saw a lot more Ortega this episode. She's great. I mean there's a lot to like here. The characters are good, the you know, we just need to give them some better things to do. I agree. All right, well we'll be back uh, probably in about a week with the next one. All right, see you then. Adios. Bye.